Hello, I'm Ruth on Unleash Your Goddess. Today we hear a story of betrayal, trauma and what she thought was a fairy tale ending. But life threw her the biggest curveball yet. A big welcome to Kerry Knight who helps us to disconnect from the negative voices in our head and focus on the sunshine moments in our dark days. I'm really looking forward to hearing this story. Hello Kerry, welcome to the show today. It's great to have you on and we're looking forward to listening to your story and your healing journey. Thank you so much for having me here. You're welcome. Yeah. Did you have a happy childhood? I had a very mixed childhood. Um, Looking back on my childhood, I say it was almost like a childhood in two parts. Brief kind of overview is I was born to teenage parents. My mum, bless her, was just turned 16 when she had me. My dad was 18. You know, back in those days, it was a big taboo. Yeah. Um, I can't even begin to imagine how frightening that must have been for my mum because obviously I was neither planned, expected or wanted. But that kind of laid down the foundation as to like looking back now that I'm older, it kind of laid the foundation of I can see where that kind of first hook went in of that not being wanted. I was a mistake. I was a mistake. I shouldn't be here. Yeah. You know, obviously now I think differently because now I know there are no such thing as mistakes and if I wasn't meant to be here, I wouldn't be here. Yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> that does affect so many adults that as a child, and I know I've heard how some adults have been told that as a child, you're not yeah. wanted, you shouldn't have been here. That really affects your life. And a lot of times people don't realise how much it does affect some roots, isn't it, again? It's, yeah, um, it, it's, it's you know, the, those kind of hooks of the beliefs come in at a very early age. And, you know, I mean, my mum, bless her, you know, she was a kid. So while she, you know, did have the support of my grandparents, I mean, my grandparents are instrumental in my upbringing. My mum and dad did get married, but the marriage didn't last. It failed. My dad left when I was about 18 months old, I think. Yeah. I never saw or had anything to do with him again until I was 17 when I met yeah. him briefly um and he was in my life for a period of time but again that he's he's not in it now physically and emotionally my dad left whilst my mum was still there physically emotionally she didn't have that capability to you know to look after me but obviously at the time from you know child's perspective all I wanted was you know the love and and nurturing of my mum but so it's actually from my grandparents which is where I got most of uh, most of my love and care my mum you know obviously growing up being a teenager she was going through the normal process of various different boyfriends yeah but the downside was obviously that you know I was getting dragged along with each different relationship yes so when I was nine you know looking back now I gosh think nine guys you know it's a big big decision to make it is just Um, a child I actually said to my mum who was leaving a partner and I said I I, we were going back to nan and granddad's as per usual and I said I I don't want to keep moving I want to live with with nan and granddad and that was from the age of nine so that's where I stayed and how did that make you feel making that decision Looking back at you know at the time I I just I just knew I always felt safer when I was with my grandparents I knew and this is why I say about a a childhood of two halves I almost feel like the childhood with my mum was very dark and fearful and I didn't feel safe and I didn't feel loved I experienced you know some mild 
traumas of, you know, there was mild forms of sexual abuse from a couple of my mum's partners, you know, all the moving around, the instability of it all, yes. its mark on me. And I just knew that when I was with my grandparents, they were my stability. They were where I felt safe and where I felt loved and nurtured. Obviously why I made that decision yes. at the age of nine, quite a tender age to, to make that decision. And obviously it came with its other challenges as well because again going back in the day it wasn't the norm to not live with your parents I was classed as kind of the weird kid at school yeah because I lived with my grandparents so and I think in my own head as well I didn't always kind of quite know where I fitted in in this world because I knew I loved my grandparents dearly but they were my grandparents and then I have my mum who I desperately desperately wanted her to love me and I know she does love me. I don't want to paint her in a bad light. No, but, no. you know, she she was going through her own stuff. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and it's only now in, you know, my latter years and my own journey and learning and, and everything that I can have more compassion and understanding for yeah. what she must have gone through. Yeah. She yeah. was young. Yeah. At 13, you turned to alcohol and it was rough for a few years for you. I think just that kind of mixed up, you know, again, I was a mixed up kid, didn't quite know where I fitted in yeah. the world, um, often uh, felt lonely. You know, a lot of my childhood I spent alone because I moved around so much. I never went to the same school for very long, so I never got to really make good friends. Yeah, As I say, living with our grandparents, the age dif- you know, difference and everything. And I think just at 13, I I kind of just went through a little bit of a rebellious stage, I guess. And, um, you know, I, I I wouldn't say that I got in with a bad crowd or anything, but I just got in with a crowd of people. And, you know, it was kind of the norm that we'd all sort of, you know, go out of the evenings and weekends and, you know, we'd go off to the local yes, supermarket yeah. or wherever and get your bottle of cider and all this <laughs> stuff. But, um, yeah, you know, and I, I was I was drinking quite heavily at the age of 13 I guess at the time I probably thought it was clever but it wasn't (laughs) yeah and at what age Um, did you realize that it it wasn't healthy did all that you know drinking and the pubs and the nightclubs and everything so early on that by the time I was in my mid-20s I was like I'm done with that you know I've been there done all that got the t-shirt what message do you want to say to our listeners today who have teens going through self-harm and depression and how can they help them looking back what sort of help would you have said you needed I think it's such a unique and individual experience. And, you know, at the end of the day, it is a cry for help. I obviously had, you know, did the drinking. I was doing mild forms of self-harm. I wouldn't put myself in the category of it was as serious as I know that, you know, sadly some people do. I did have times where I didn't want to be here anymore. And it was it was a cry for help. Try and talk to your kids. Try and find a way to open up those lines of communication. It's really difficult. I think looking back now, I know so much more now than what I did then. Um, I wish somebody had talked to me more about the negative voice that we all have in our yes. heads. Yes, yes. Yeah. I didn't know about that. I didn't know that there was this negative voice that was constantly beating me up and criticizing me and berating me, telling me I wasn't good enough, telling me I wasn't lovable, telling me I wasn't important. It's not who we are. It's not who we are. It's not a truth. It's just based around the narratives of a story that we take on in our early childhood because of circumstances around us. 
because yes. of external circumstances. We take those beliefs on, but they're not a truth. And I just wish that somebody had talked to me more about that. I'm quite passionate about yes. that you know, yeah. to, this, to this day, really, because, yeah. you know, we all have a negative voice. Yeah. And I think the more we can talk about these things and normalise it, the more the it will got. be. I was saying that to somebody the other day that in their teenage years, I don't think it was enough in the schools for the emotional yeah. side of things because their hormones are everywhere. It's yeah, hard. there's so much going on and there's so many pressures as well. Yes. Life was never meant to be this stressful. Yeah. Um, and there's so many pressures. And, you know, I mean, I, I said to my own son, you know, do they, do they talk to you about the nervous system? about going into the fight or flight response and how to put your nervous system back into rest and rest and digest you know yes, do they talk yeah. to you about the subconscious brain and that actually that's where you spend 95% of your time and that is the autopilot of where all of the information comes from that you've taken on during your life and it's just habitual behaviors but you need to actually make a point of consciously choosing you know do they talk to you about breath work do they talk to you about meditation it's, no, mum, they don't. It's a shame. No. If only we'd had that sort of sort of thing talked to us, it would have been it would have helped so much. Like, like I said as well before, you know, just normalising these thoughts and feelings. You know, yes. we are human beings, yeah. and we, you know, have all of these emotions. And I don't know about you, but I experience every single oh, emotion yes. going. Yeah. But there are ones that I would choose to have over the others. Yes. But it's also not. I think it's also not being scared of those more negative emotions and understanding that they are normal they're natural human responses and not feeling so scared of them and allowing them to flow because that's what emotions are meant to do they're meant to flow yeah. if you think of a toddler in how they you know race from one emotion to the that's next right. and crying yes. and tantrums yeah. and singing you know it's because they're pure and the emotions yes. are flowing. But as we get older, we're taught to squash things down. And, you know, we, we kind of we're a bit scared of sitting with our emotions. And actually, something that, you know, I do a lot now is I've learned to sit with my emotions and look at them as a gift. Yes. There's a great, great quote that I love by a gentleman called Peter Crone. And he said, life will um, always present you with situations, people, circumstances to reveal to you where in your life you are not free, mm. where you're not healed. And so often we look at all the external circumstances, you know, we just think it's all happening to us and why me and blah, blah, blah. But those feelings are within you. And so whatever's yes. going on out there is actually triggering something that's yeah. already within you that feeling is already there yeah so it's an actually an amazing opportunity to look at that and see the gift in it okay where is that feeling coming from what's that attached to that's attached to some sort of narrative around a story I have about myself inquire into it is it a truth it's never it never no. is it's never no. the truth and it always you know? seems to go back to childhood doesn't it I've learned Absolutely. that through counselling, how most, yeah. most of my problems, it's gone right back Absolutely. to childhood. By the age of three, we've taken on 75% of yes. our belief systems, which yeah. is quite scary. Yeah. That is scary. I'm just going to touch on your marriage. You were married at 25. Yeah. You had a lovely daughter. Yeah. A couple of years later. Well, I met him uh, at 25, married at 26, had my daughter at 27. And, you know, my daughter was, 
And again, I think because of the childhood, because of all the emotions and the, you know, just, I yearned so much to have that traditional family obviously not having had that myself and and I just wanted to I, I you know so desperately wanted to have a little girl and um you know I was determined that I was gonna you know love her and she would know she was loved and you know keep her safe and just she was everything I'd ever dreamed of and I'd spent all of my teenage years really oh. thinking that was all I ever wanted to do was to yeah find somebody, get married, be loved, you know, love them, be loved myself and have a have a family and, you know, as I say, have my daughter and, and love them. But putting all the pressure on someone else, isn't yes. it? That's handing over your power to somebody else. Yeah. Again, that, you know, unbeknowingly, that put quite a lot of pressure on me as well because then I suddenly found myself wanting to be this perfect mum and determined not to do things the way that I had experienced. Yeah. That kind of brings its own its own challenges, as it were, in itself, you know. And 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 again, at the end of the day, I still had those emotional holes in my leaky bucket. Yes, uh, trying to look for external things to fill it is never the answer. No, no. And sometimes um, you know, we think, if only I had this, if only I had that, if only I had a daughter, if only yeah, I had the perfect yeah. man, if only I, when I'd be so much happy and you get there and you find out, oh, yeah. actually, no, it isn't because yeah. it's something yeah. inside, isn't it? Yeah. I still I still felt empty. I still felt lonely. Yeah. I thought she was all I've ever wanted, but I still had this empty feeling inside of me and I still and loneliness is is something that I have struggled with you know right from day one a lot of people amazing talking to all these ladies a lot of us have struggled and and a lot of times you feel like you're the only one even though you put on a good face and no one knows that but behind that face a lot of us feel the same thing and I was so amazed yeah loneliness fear of being alone but when you know and it's kind of as I say now that I kind of look at it all and I peel it all back and it's like yeah because it's that fear of rejection fear of abandonment fear of not being good enough not feeling significant or that you matter um you know it all all leads back to those feelings doesn't it yes four years into the marriage it wasn't you know it wasn't the happiest of marriages as I say again you know and a lot of that is I'm not putting the blame on him you know we weren't compatible really I had a fairy tale idea in my head of how the marriage be it wasn't like that through my own wounding as well and yeah I found out that you know four years into the marriage he he was actually having an affair I that was the one thing again I don't know why why I had these kind of you know I kind of put up with a lot of stuff but that was the one thing I didn't put up with and I upped and left my daughter was three at the time and we left and we were homeless we had nowhere to go other than a friend's sofa so quite a scary time yes but there again it was just something inside me I, I don't know what it was it there was just always this this light inside of me this driving force that there was more out there I mean, you know, looking back on it now, I say it was the best thing that... Yes. When the door shuts, when you take that step and leave something you shouldn't be in and the way you shouldn't be going, and a door shuts when another door opens, even better. But it's hard taking that step, isn't it, and going through that. The marriage wasn't right for that to have happened in the first place. Yeah. We weren't happy. I don't hold any malice, you know, towards him. We weren't right for each other. And, you know, as I say, like you say, it's not until after the situation that when you do have the courage to close a door and leave that you realise it was uh, the best thing, you know, that could have happened. 
looking back on it, I remember at times, though, even just in the language of how I used to talk about it, I used to actually use the language of I wasn't good enough for him. He found somebody else. So if you think, you know, you can see just in that language that there was still that deep inherent wounding in me. Point did you realize that and then start your healing journey of them feelings? It was probably more into my next marriage with with my husband Sean. I met him actually very, very quickly after after leaving Ian. Yeah. Some might have said, (laughs) you know, it was too quick, but I had been in a loveless marriage and then I met, you know, I met Sean and I kind of knew Sean from way back as well. We lit, we did have a bit of a history in the sense that we'd never actually met, but I had been to his 18th birthday party through a friend of a friend when I was 14. And it was that whole, you know, I used to see him around the town. He was four years older than me, but we never actually met until this, this point. He is such a kind, gentle soul. I just remember the night that I met him, actually, I was terrified. My friend, I said to my friend, I can't meet somebody. I've just come out of a marriage and <laughs> I've got a child and who's going to want me and blah, blah, blah. You know, my friend just took my hand and she said, Kerry, you've been through so much. You yeah. just need somebody to be nice to you and kind to you. And he's so lovely. Just be honest with him. Tell him where you're at and just let him be kind to you. That's uh, that's kind of what happened. Yeah, we you know we we started dating and we started having a relationship with each other, and two years on, we got married. <laughs> oh, lovely! That's brilliant. He was that rock. Yeah. During that time with him, did you still have them feelings that came up that you're not enough? Yeah, often, but be- but because of the way that Sean was, he was. I always said. I think at that point I had a bit more of a spiritual awareness because by then my my grandmother had passed. I always felt like he was sent to me by my grandmother. And looking at it now, again, looking at how we seek out people that remind us of our care provider experience, I can very much see how he was a almost a replica of the feelings that I would get from being with my grandmother. He was very solid, very calm, very safe and secure. And I think because of the way that he was with me, that almost allowed me to flourish. And I did, that's, I guess, when I did then start to explore my own kind of healing journey. Um, But there were still many times that the demons came up of not feeling enough, feeling lonely even though I was in this marriage with this most amazing man there were still times where I felt lonely yes yeah um you know and I and I think again that's just because I don't think the voices ever go away do they I I, I think even once you're happy yourself once I can't they're just not not as loud they say don't they I think that um, voices yeah, I think because he he was that, you know, he was more safe and secure. I kind of, it suppressed it a little, but yeah. it was still there. I mean, you know, looking back on it now, I can see that there were, were many codependent, and I still probably to this day, I can recognise I still have codependency issues. And I think that when I was with him, they weren't so um, heightened. Yeah. Maybe they showed up in other areas of my life you know friendships and work and things like that I thought I had my fairy tale (laughs) my happy ever after which which moves us on to to the day when you heard the news yeah so it's um 
kind of understandable that you know after obviously everything I'd already been through and one of the my biggest fears was um being alone and I used to fear even though I knew he was never you know he was never going to go off and have an affair or anything like that I trusted him implicitly but I always had this fear of him leaving me um and yeah then uh, back in 2016 he um became unwell and we thought that it was um a kidney stone again because he'd had a, a kidney stone a few years prior to that it turned out it was kidney cancer yeah and um unfortunately kidney cancer is one of those ironic cancers that if it's di- detected early enough is completely treatable but if it's not then the chances aren't very high yeah. and unfortunately by the time we found out about it for sure he had a 10 centimeter mass yeah. on his kidney so obviously they were hopeful that just removing the kidney would be enough so it wasn't how did you get through them early days I mean you're mainly in shock aren't you I just I felt like the rug had been pulled out from underneath me um you know I I naturally had those feelings of you know why this isn't fair you know how can this be happening this isn't you know this isn't the way it was all supposed to be ending but again I I I had this fight in me I had this you know how the hell am I going to get him get the kids through it it was you know it was just and I and that's when I decided to um I said to him that I was going to share our story on on Facebook and sort of just blog about it really um blog about all the highs and lows is that on a Facebook page yeah it, it's it's not a hugely active page now but it, um it's actually called nights it's called nights after cancer now decided to sort of share our journey with it because I found lots of I found lots of blogs and and writings and that from people that were going through the illnesses themselves yes. but I didn't find much from the perspective of the partner yes um so I decided to sort of be quite vulnerable and and share obviously with Sean's agreement um, our journey and and how we kind of coped and faced it and you know warts and all all the highs no that's lovely Um, and I said to him if we can help someone else navigate that journey as it were through our sharing then it's taking that negative and making it into a positive and for yourself during that time of his illness what tools did you use well I found it very very cathartic to write which again was why I used the Facebook page to write so I blogged on there I wrote poems I actually I went on a course actually in January five-day course uh, by a gentleman called Richard Wilkins and his lovely partner Liz Ivory and it's called uh, BC which stands for broadband consciousness and it was a five-day course where you talked about the negative voice in your head (laughs) which they refer to as the script and basically it was a five-day course that took place in their home and you spent five days with them and eight other amazing people. You all shared your stories, but you got to see how, although everybody had completely unique stories, the one common theme was the feelings. We yeah. all had the same feeling. So it was kind of like a five-day course of stripping everything back of who you think you are, this identity that you think you you have created over the years because yeah. of this negative voice that they call the script and actually teaching you who you are rather than what this voice tells you 
who you are yeah and learning learning to have an awareness of it learning to be able to separate it learning how to choose learning how to disconnect from that voice and recognize that it's that that's speaking it's not what you would choose to do and then having that choice of doing differently or not as the case may be we are still human yeah and there are times where human feelings naturally take over but that was instrumental for me actually Ruth that course and Um, is that course still running it's still running now yeah um and I often go to the one day events as well just to kind of plug in they're called recharge days perfect Um, but I go back to, I went to one literally only a couple of weeks ago, actually, um, in Northampton. And it's a chance to plug back in because it's like anything, isn't it? You have to, you have, you know, you you think nothing of plugging your phone back in to recharge the battery, but we don't think about plugging ourselves back in and just, just reminding ourselves because life, you know, life will keep on life in. And, uh, you know, it's um, just, you can't pour from an empty cup, can you? No, no. You have to take, I've I've learned that. You have to take that time to, I've been so busy for everyone else all my life, but now I take that time for me. Yeah, My cup isn't even half full, then forget it. (laughs) I'm taking time out. To be honest, that's something that I'm quite passionate that I talk about with my clients actually is um, we talk about not pouring from an empty cup. And I actually sort I actually kind of try to teach people that it's actually from the overflow of your cup you should be pouring from because the cup is for you yeah and it's whatever is overflowing out of that cup is what you should be giving from that's right that's right because you know you're not you're 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 doing yourself a disservice yes and you know the biggest message that energetically you're sending out to yourself is when you're not taking care of yourself that's when you're sending out that message of not being worthy and not being enough so yeah but so yeah so definitely that course was very instrumental in helping me to cope with Sean's illness to cope with the situation what was happening I was again looking at society's way of dealing with death and grief and how we're taught to deal with it and looking at that and thinking but that's not what I would choose I would choose to focus on the the positives and the the I call them sunshine moments that was something else that I did a lot when he was ill yes um there was a period of time where before he he passed in the June that uh he was in and out of hospital I had the ambulance to my house more times than I can remember and I could have been sat at the hospital for you know 9 10 11 12 hours a day um, and people would say, well, how the hell in those moments can you choose? How can you choose to feel upbeat? Or, But it's a conscious choice. Yes. And again, in those moments, that's where I created, um, I actually created the hashtag Sunshine Moments and it actually got a lot of people doing it on Facebook. It was brilliant. And that helped lift me at the time as well. Because when you give, when you when you give to others, that actually comes back and helps. So that was my rocket fuel. Yes. So I used to share my sunshine moments. And, you know, what are sunshine moments? They can be the most simplest of things. They can be somebody's held the door open for you. You've caught somebody's eye and they've smiled at you. You happen to notice a beautiful flower, um, the sound of a child's laughter, but you have to actively seek them out. 
Yeah. And it's it's that old cliche of you get what you focus on. Mm. You know, like when you're looking for a new car, suddenly that car's everywhere. Yes, yeah. It's the same with the sunshine moments. The more you look for them, the more you will actually start to see them yeah. because your yeah. subconscious brain kicks in and thinks, oh, that's what we're looking for. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, you know, there was times, very, very dark days with that where, you know, I did have to go into a conscious choosing place of stopping getting out of my head becoming aware of what that negative voice was telling me yeah. and dropping to my heart and thinking what would I choose you know and it was horrendous obviously what we were going through it was tragic it was like why the hell did that have to be happening to us yes but how did any of that how did focusing on any of that help us no, how it does doesn't. That, that, how does that serve us? What did that teach my kids? Yeah. You know, I had to have some very hard conversations with my children about death mm. because my husband, bless him, he, he couldn't cope with it. He couldn't face the situation, face the reality of what was happening to him. Yeah. So I had to have those conversations. My little boy, he was, you know, he was nine at the time, was saying to me every day nearly, is daddy going to die? Is daddy going to die? My answer was always not today, son. Yeah. I'm not going to say to you he's not going to die because I don't have the power and the knowledge to know that. But as far as I'm aware, not today. Yeah. You know, and then obviously as it got nearer and nearer and I could see the reality of what was unfolding before us I had to have you know more honest conversations with him and probably one of the hardest conversations of my life was to you know sit with my my nine-year-old son and and tell him that yeah daddy is gonna die darling yeah how long ago was this that he passed he he passed it will be five years in June next year yeah Um, and again so going back to the whole choosing thing he died on the 9th of June in 2017, the day after his mother's birthday, the day before my daughter's 18th birthday. Oh, yeah. And again, in the hospice on the morning that he died, I rem- I just remember looking around me and in that moment of such sadness, all I could see was beauty. I looked over at my children hugging and comforting each other. And all I could see was the beauty. And my daughter said to me, Mum, I think, you know, shall we cancel? We need to cancel the party tomorrow. And I I said, Listen, darling, this is entirely your choice, but here's Mm -hmm. my take on it. I believe that in some way, on some higher level, Sean chose to leave today. Yeah. He lived for us, he lived for our happiness. And he knows that by going today, you can have your party tomorrow without the guilt, without the worrying if the phone's going to ring. I can be there without being on tender hooks and feeling guilty that I'm not by his side or am I going to get called back? Yeah, He's taken himself out to give you the gift of having your 18th birthday party and having the love surrounding you in the room because he will be there yes, in spirit. Yeah. And he's gifted that to you. 
Now you decide if you want to take that gift or not. Yeah. And did she? she? We went ahead and she had the most amazing birthday party. The room was filled with love. Oh, that's lovely. We had a pint of cider on the bar for him. Yeah. Um, we raised a glass at the end of the evening to him. Well, my daughter downed it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew he would have been saying, that's a girl. Uh, um, oh, that's lovely. <laughs> you know, but again, it was about choices. Yes. Yeah. And we're taught to, you know, go to this deep, dark place, aren't we? I just kept, I just kept feeling all the time. But he lived for our happiness. Yeah. Yeah. How is how is it honouring him? Don't get me wrong. Of course, I shed my tears. Of yeah. course, I, I, I have my. I still do have my sad moments. But you know, I want to live my life as best I can in honour of him. Yes, and show my right. children. Show my children. There's another way. There yeah. is another way to deal. That's with right. Death. It's positivity. I've just had. He was my ex. And we part of it, we stayed best friends and he had pancreatic cancer and he just passed a couple of uh, weeks ago. He had about eight months ago, he found out. And literally this the same sort of thing. He wanted it positive. He wanted no service, just people come in and it was just all positive and, and it was nice. And we're not used to that. We're used to going to a funeral and, you know, everyone crying and everybody, everybody's different in the way they want things. And it was, it was positive, even peaceful and and what he wanted. What message could you give right now to any of our listeners who are going through grief? Just be gentle on yourself. It is a journey. Grief is natural. It is natural. The sadness, the sadness is natural. Of course it is. Um, You know, that person is no longer physically with you. Yeah. I actually did a course five months after Sean died called the Grief Recovery Method. And I trained in that. And it was so enlightening. And they talked about how a lot of the, the, what keeps you stuck in grief is the pain. It's not the sadness, it's the pain. That's what debilitates you. That's Mm -hmm. what keeps you from moving forward, as it were. Um, It's all the wishing things have been more, better, different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So you know, if you are going through the process of losing somebody who, you know, you care about, you know, I'm so glad my daughter wrote Sean a letter. I'm so glad she got to say everything in that letter she wanted to say to him before he passed. You know, I made sure that I said things to him that I wanted to say before he passed. But, you know, it still doesn't take away that feeling afterwards during the grief process. There's still things that you feel like you you want to um it's a it's a it's the it's the sort of feeling incomplete like you haven't completed something yes yeah Um, so one of the methods that they you know that is very much what's taught around the grief recovery method and I would highly recommend it to people it's not counseling it's actually a self-directed um workshop type thing and it takes you through a process takes you through a process of looking at the relationship um and Picking out where there are things that are left unfinished, um, the, 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 you know, wishing there had been more, better, different, as I said, looking at those areas. And you actually construct a letter at the very end of it where you get your opportunity to say everything that you want to say. Um, and it's done in a specific way um, so that you get that sense of completion at the yes. end of it. It's very powerful. 
That sounds good because I lost my Doesn't parents mean... four weeks apart about five years ago now. And my dad, he had the dementia cancer. My mum had the cancer, but mum wasn't due to go. Dad, we knew only had a couple of weeks. Mum just dropped. Yeah. And it is. It's just that, you know, similar to, similar to you with, with your nan. One of the things you were going to say, you can't say because yeah. they're gone. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And that is a good idea with the letter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, as I say, I mean, it is done in a structured way. Um, you sort of go through this program and it's done in a structured way. It's very, very powerful. Um, it's a very powerful thing to do. Um it doesn't mean that that takes away the sadness you know it's what what that's meant for me doing that is that I still have my sadness over obviously Sean's death yes. but it doesn't it doesn't um stop me in my tracks and debilitate me now it's just you know I can cry I can release let yeah. the tears flow which is a natural human response yes yes it's not that crushing debilitating mm. pain if that if that makes yeah. sense yeah um you know, but again, it, it it it's about choosing as well. Yes. You know, since since he's been gone, you know, every milestone, we've made sure that you know we've we've chosen to do things that have, you know, lifted our spirits on that day. You know, his very first year anniversary, we went and did a um a, a, an event for the local hospice called Kapow, which was a superheroes inflatable um course and it was a 5k we dressed up as superheroes and it was you know on the anniversary of his death now most people on the anniversary of a death they would go to the choir and and I'm not saying that's wrong obviously yes yes have to do what's right for you yeah Yeah. Um, but for us it was about acknowledging the day but again acknowledging in it in a way that we could do something good with it. You know, we raised money for the hospice. Yes, yeah. I've done several, you know, I've done several events. I'm not a runner or keep fit person or anything, but, you know, I've done half marathons. When he was ill, I was signed up to do the Eastbourne half marathon. And when he died, I thought, "Mm, okay, I wasn't really. The night before, literally eight o'clock the night before, I had this, again, this moment of, I am here. I can yeah. put one foot in front of the other. Yes. And I rang, I rang my friend up and I said, can you look after Bradley tomorrow? I'm doing this marathon. She was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I literally rocked up to do a half marathon, no training whatsoever. I've oh never my. done anything like that in my life. And I bloody did it. Yeah. My friend. No, um, that's fine. I was the last person home. It took me four hours and 17 minutes. The clock was down. But you did but it. But yeah. I did it and I yeah. raised money for the hospice and really? I did it for Sean. Yeah. Because I am here, I am still yes. alive and I can put one foot in front of the other. Yeah. And that's kind of been my motto all along, really. Just step by step, just baby steps, do what you can, take it day by day. Yeah. The day seems, seems too big, take it by the hour. Yeah. That's so, it. And if you're having a bad day, just know tomorrow will be different and let yourself. Back to the sunshine cry. moments. If, you, yeah. if you're having a bad day, Allow yourself to have a bad day, but in amongst that darkness, look yeah. for the little cracks of light yeah. and know that the sun is always shining behind yes. the clouds. That's always. right. That is right. That's Which leads yeah. us on to what Sean said. It's all about the love, babe. Can you tell us more? As I said, uh, he wasn't always kind of up to facing the reality of what was happening to him. He was very, very poorly. Um, and if, and I knew I knew we were on the, the downward slope as it were and we'd managed to get him into the hospice 
bless him, even in the hospice, he was saying to them, just just get me well enough to get to my daughter's 18th birthday party. And I kind of look in at the nurses thinking, what? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I remember on the day before he died, um, I'd actually gone to see his um, oncologist and ask her if there was any possibility of us getting him to this party. And obviously she had said no. Now, Sean could read me like a book. So when I walked into the hospice that morning, he took one look at me and he, he knew where I'd been. And he said, okay, so come on, give it to me. How long have I got? Mm. And at that point, I just kind of welled up and shook my head. And I said, well, you know, you, you don't want to know these things. You never want to know. And he said, I know it's hard. And I know I always will only accept whatever you tell me. But I need you to tell me, what are we talking here? Weeks? And I just shook my head and I said, I don't know. And he said, well, days? And I said, and I, said I don't know. And obviously at that point, you know, I just kind of cried and, you know, we had a little bit of a moment. And he and he just held my hand and it hooks me up now. Um, and he just said, it's been an absolute honour. Oh. And it's all about love, babe. It's all about the love. Yeah. I will never, ever go. Yeah. It never leaves. The love never leaves. No, that's right. You know, and that, that again is, you know, often when I'm talking about get out of your head, get into your heart, is because that's who we are. Mm. You know, we are love. Yeah, yeah. And love, you know, love just, it goes on. It, it, there it are changes no, the world, doesn't it? love yeah yeah it's you know there are no constraints there are no boundaries it's there's no diversity you know division it's um yeah it's you know if we could just love love ourselves love others yeah that's right <laughs> have compassion yeah. you know yeah yeah. And, and it, it just always stuck with me that he said that you know it's all about the love babe because I just thought it is this is what life is about Mm. it is actually all about the love and remembering who we are and that love starting with ourselves as you said absolutely it is all about the love but that love has to start with you certainly and that is quite a journey and I think it's a journey we you know the healing journey is is an ongoing journey learning to love yourself learning to you know deal with all your inner wounds and your inner child and you know all your traumas and everything like that um what's the best way to deal with it with love love that's right that is so how do you how do you deal with any situation actually if you throw love at any situation it's gonna come out better (laughs) yeah no it is it is certainly did you want to read your poem i think now be a good good time for you yeah. To read it. yeah this poem came about actually as a as a result of me going into the bank actually not long after Sean had passed away and the lovely lady in the banks was saying how sad it was you know that he'd passed and and I said you know thank you and it, it, it's all of that but again it's like choosing what to focus on it just sums up how I feel about the whole love and death thing really so it's called the butterfly that flew away One day a butterfly came my way. It landed on me and chose to stay. Out of all the places it could land, it chose me and took my hand. Its beauty was a marvel for all to see. I'm so thankful out of all the choices it chose me. 
This butterfly stayed for quite a while. I often looked with love and a smile. Then the day came, it had to fly away. No longer with me could it stay. It's tragic and sad, people would say. I choose to look at it another way. I focus on the love and not the loss, the here and now, not the was. That butterfly was my husband, you see. In all the people of this world, he chose me. So that love is what's here to stay. I'm not looking at a butterfly who flew away. I see him often all around. In my home and children, he is found. So that butterfly, it came with a message to say, there is always love. It never flies away. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. You offer therapies. What therapies do you offer? So I'm um, I'm actually a Reiki master. Um, I've been doing Reiki for 12 years now. Um, did my level one and level two to begin with. Only just recently um, done my master's. It's sort of taken me 12 years to decide to get around to doing that. Um, but yeah, I do my Reiki, um, do Reiki healing. I incorporate that into massage as well because I actually have a beauty background. So I'm trained in yeah. massage. Um, so again, I sort of created some bespoke massages where the you know the reiki energy just flows anyway um for again as a way to kind of open up to people that maybe are not sure about reiki a bit skeptical about reiki kind of don't really know what it is want to try it but want to feel that they've had something a bit more tangible in the way of a massage um so it was almost a bit of a kind of stealth way of uh, yeah. getting getting it uh getting it out there to people and yeah common feedback is oh you know i've never like ever had a massage like that before i feel so relaxed because you just go yes. to such yeah. a deep deep level of uh, relaxation so yeah and because of the journey I've been on as well with obviously all of my stuff and you know the the, the self-development I'm big on psychology I love how the mind works and everything like that so mm. people have often said to me over the years Kerry you should be some sort of coach do some sort of counseling you just seem to have a different way of looking at life a different perspective that helps people so I kind of offer heartfelt guidance coaching within my therapies as well you've got a facebook i've got a page facebook for page called, yeah called be beautiful that's the letter b um followed by the word okay. be, um, beautiful so yes yeah, be beautiful and a web yeah, page I Have haven't got, got a web okay. page. No, not not at the moment. It's something I keep thinking about doing, but um, so far I've built my business on word of mouth recommendation. Yeah. So yeah, but it is some it is something I keep thinking of doing. Yeah, yeah. For the listeners that don't know what Reiki is, can you just give a quick explanation yeah. of what that is? Yeah, definitely. Yes. Um, so Reiki is is um, is a beautiful, beautiful. Um, therapy it's um an ancient japanese therapy actually of energy healing and um reiki the word actually means life force energy um and it's a way of 
just rebalancing yourself you know we are all made up of energy mm. and you know we have all the chakras within us so it's a little bit like you know when you think of reflexology acupuncture things like that they talk about meridians and you know acupuncture points and, yes you know place you know representing you know there's there's so much more that goes on inside our body than we're aware of um so you've got these chakra energies that run through you and you know because of life and stress and situations, you know, your your energy balance can, can get slightly out of balance. Yes, yeah. um, and the Reiki, Reiki healing is just about bringing things back into balance. Um, it's done in the form of uh, therapists are normally either hands-on or hands-off. Um, every therapist is different. Um, it's normally done, um, you know, no massage, no undressing involved. It's just a placing of the hands, um, which, as I say, I mean, I do traditional Reiki healing in that sense, or I actually incorporate it into massage as well. But, um, yeah, it's um, it's just a beautiful, beautiful energy healing. Mm. And it's like a heat, isn't it, that comes from the hands? Yeah, I mean, not everybody experiences that again because everybody's unique and individual um but again common feedback for me with my uh, therapies are people quite often think i've got hot stones in my hands and yeah. i haven't um and they just go to this meditative state of relaxation you know they feel the heat they see colors they might uh feel floaty sensations they might um feel tingling you know all sorts of things yes. um, yeah it, it kind of just as i say it works on the energy that's running through you know through through our through our bodies so, yeah yeah it's just okay. beautiful and it's so helpful for all you know there's nothing that reiki is harmful to it's it's a well-being thing and that's one thing i'm quite passionate in getting across to people as well is that it's not a, a quick fix it's not a oh i'm going to go and treat myself like as in a beauty pamper yes. session you know it's 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 a well-being thing and actually i feel quite passionately that it should be part of people's well-being maintenance program you yes, know if you've yeah. got something you're trying to address then you would probably look at having you know sort of two or three sessions quite you know succinct with one another yes um if you're looking to just have a well-being maintenance program then you know you should be thinking about it at least once a month so and how long does that take about an hour or is it half an hour um yeah so i i offer um i offer half hour sessions generally um my i book out an hour whenever whenever i actually do the sessions i always book out an hour because the actual reiki itself generally is around sort of 30 to 40 minutes yes, yeah. um but because i i often talk to people as well you know obviously things might come up i might pick up on things quite often pick up on people's emotions um so you know again I, I like to give people time I don't want anyone to ever come to me for a session and feel like they've been rushed, rushed. like when you get to a doctor do you feel like oh off you go next yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. and it? most most people Ruth just want to be heard yes most people want to talk and be heard yeah um, so it's again I try to create a space that I say to people, I'm not your guru. I'm not here to fix you. You're not broken anyway. I just want to hold space for you with love and compassion and no judgment. Yeah. That you feel you can release and talk through whatever you're is going on for you right now. And you know, and if you're open to it, we can look at different perspectives, how yeah. we can reframe it. But yeah, I mean, the, the as I say, the Reiki energy is just such a beautiful, 
beautiful yes it is okay thank you for explaining that what's your favorite book and why got a top five top five would be the first book i read on my healing journey which is the louise hay you can heal your life elizabeth ivory it's not your fault um very much about the script of the five-day course that i did she actually wrote a book anita morjani dying to be me was that had quite a profound effect on me edith edgar the choice she was an auschwitz survivor that's an amazing book to read so many light bulb moments in there and i've got one that is currently my favorite by dr nicole lapera called how to do the work she's the holistic psychologist highly i recommend her to all my clients actually go follow her follow her on instagram or facebook she is a a you know, a proper, she, you know, she was the kind of traditional psychologist, but she realized the connection between mind, body and soul. And now she shares her work openly, freely. She helps you to understand what is going on in your mind and your body, your nervous system. She helps you to understand and unravel things with a hug. And then if you want to do something about it, this is what you do. Yeah, yeah, no, that sounds good. I'll look that up afterwards. What's on your bedside table? Aromatherapy oils and my journal because I put my sunshine moments in there every night. Oh, lovely. Your favourite meal? Cooked breakfast. So your traditional like sausage egg and bacon yeah, yeah nice. I love I love a quick breakfast that's my that's my where do you find inspiration other people uh listening to other people and their journeys uh, I just I love hearing stories of other people you know how they've come through adversity and you know what they've done and how they have achieved things and I think again it's quite telling in that sometimes you know some people might look at someone else's story and kind of be like oh that's great but you know I don't see how they did it whereas I look at things like that and I'm like that's amazing it means it can be done yes yeah you know so I think yeah you can find many examples of of hope out there what makes you smile gosh all sorts of things my kids obviously is a real traditional thing Mm -hmm. to say just people but I I love I love seeing the lights go back on in people's eyes Mm. that makes me smile if you could talk to your 18 year old self what would you say oh don't fret it's all gonna be okay yeah that's it it's everything is is as it should be don't worry about the past don't worry about the future easier said than done I know and I think as we get older that's we tend to do that more don't we we tend to like slow down a bit yeah yeah go with the flow yeah it's all gonna be okay yeah and don't listen to the negative voice in your head yeah that's the one (laughs) whatever that script is telling you it's not true it's not a truth (laughs) thank you Kerry really appreciate you coming on it's been great talking to you thank you for having Um, me I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to hear my my story and uh, yeah I just know it's inspirational Thank you all so much for listening. There are hundreds and thousands of podcasts out there and you have chosen ours to listen to today. Please go to unleashyourgoddess.co.uk to find the links to books Kerry talked about today on the recommended book page. Wow, we really received inspiration from Kerry today in our chat. The positivity was powerful. No matter what we're going through, think on the positive. I really look forward to our next podcast. Please go to our Facebook page, Unleash Your Goddess, or unleashyourgoddess.co.uk to stay updated and to hear what's coming up. Have a lovely day and see you next time.